I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. CCC. How are you? I'm great. Happy Easter. Happy Zombie Jesus Day. Uh, it's a good segue because I wanted to talk about something really quickly. Because every time we make a video where you say something about like faith-based movies or like that you're not, you know, religious or something about Christians, people get very upset. Okay. But... And then I also get comments like, why do I allow or, or like thanking me for not being so whatever. But I think <clears throat> just to clarify, which normally I don't like excuses, but I think we both, like many queer people, have experienced a lot of trauma related to organized religion. Yes. So, you know... While my approach is different to yours in how I react to religious um, speak mm -hmm. or content, I think, you know, it's not just like loose, crazy talk. It's like there's a lot of pain related to feeling rejected. You know, I went for many years, we went to a Baptist church and the reverend would give sermons like anti-gay, like talking about that. And do you know that motherfucker died of AIDS? Yeah, of course. Usually which he contracted girls. from having sex with men. Mm -hmm. Which we'll get into the topic of DL shit later because of our <laughs> secret movie. But um, so I don't want to go on and on and not to excuse your behavior because I don't always agree with how you say things. Sure. I certainly don't disagree. I just think... I'm very Michelle Obama about when they go low, we go high. And to me, it's just like... I'm very much... I, <laughs> you're a little more Malcolm X. I'm a little X, more Malcolm X. Hey, I'm a little more MLK. But, I, but I, I think that it's just maybe feeling... And, and maybe I'm the clown and maybe I should be more aggressive. But I just think like being gay and black... I just feel like I have to appease everyone. So I have to tread lightly. I don't want to offend anyone. I've worked in an environment for many years where I have to deal with people and, you know, working with customers sort of, you know, we're put in an awkward position because it's like I'm expected to just stand there and listen to you spout out your beliefs and assume that I, I give a fuck about whatever you're talking about. And so over the years, I've learned to just absorb that versus you have had a much longer time sort of being free of that. So that's all. I don't want to have a debate about it because sure. I don't disagree with you. No, I just... and I, 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 it's never my intention as at the age I am at now to be disrespectful uh, per se, but uh, I'm also not going to get it twisted. I'm not here about that bullshit. It, just like I'm anti-racist and... Uh, it, everything else that is going to come out. Like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that there's not a ton of, one, personal trauma and just uh, what religion really does uh, sometimes. And But what you're talking about is, you're, I agree with you in that what, or like the dangers of organized religion, but also I don't think that that, that's separate from the people who align themselves with that. Like, there are a lot of really... There are people out there who identify as Christian or Muslim or whatever other religion I think is kind of crazy. <laughs> well, because all of it, it seems... I respect it because I think if people use it as a way to help them deal with the 
chaos of life. And as humans, we do seek out answers for the unexplained. And I think, you know, my personality is very much rooted in like, oh, science made sense to me. Sure. Like, you know, maybe there, maybe people who don't understand science feel like they, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I like facts. And so to me, religion seems like, well, there's a pie in the sky that I'm supposed to have this blind faith to, and, and I just can't do well, that. Well, religious, it's, it's like anti-facts. And what, what I think I really appreciate about it the least is it gives an out for having to grow. And well, well, because the in the, uh, in a search for answers, realizing there are none, and there's this book that we all reference and interpret however we want. We don't ever have to stretch or redefine our beliefs. Or as you grow and as you experience the world and other people, you should also be, uh, you know, recalibrating how you feel and what you I don't know in. if I fully agree with that because I do think there are things that we don't have answers to, right? Like, where that, do we all yeah, come yes, from? Where do we go? I, I agree. So that's what I'm talking but about. But religion can be used as a way to like, we're just not going to know because there's this man in the sky that tells me I don't need to know. So Right, but you're, I feel like your attitude is just like immediately if someone says they are Christian or some sort of religion, you are automatically like annoyed and you make assumptions about them. And I'm saying I don't do that because I think that there are very fair, reasonable, loving, kind people who feel like they need a little something extra. Like it's like for someone like me, I believe when I die, it's the same as before I was born. Nothing. I don't think that I'm going anywhere. I don't think there's some person in the sky who is watching me and loves me more like, like I'm their child, but then somehow lets all this bad shit happen to everything. I don't believe in that part, but I also appreciate that there are people who are smart and do believe in science and are not all the phobias mm -hmm. who still keep that shit in their back pocket. Like, well, just in case <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead. And it also gives them peace. And then maybe the allegories in the Bible, you know, they see it as that and they look at it for inspiration to live a better life. So that's all I'm, I, I think that's the difference between the two of us, but I don't disagree with what you're saying. No, certainly if you're a Christian that actually acts like a Christian, great. <laughs> right. I just think my issue is usually the automatic sort of negative response to someone saying their religion and then sort of disrespecting it like, well, you're I you, you must be this because you believe in this. I don't agree with and that, that. Yes. And I, I know that that creates a different problem. You know, I think a lot of liberals and progressives are going through that now is with with policing and political correctness is you can get to a point where you become the thing you hate. Uh, right. So, yes. So That's what I'm trying I, to say. I'm aware of that. And I, it's not my intention to be disrespectful. It's it's it, you know, it's where old wounds are easily open. But it reminds me of a, you know, a, a story because I, I worked full time through high school and college and I was a I was a cashier at Sam's Club in college. And I remember it was the year V for Vendetta. V for Vendetta had just come out, and this woman uh, was buy this white woman was buying all these like Christian books that they were selling at Sam's Club. And I really, I was a very unhappy person at this time. But I remember, I think I must have had some look on my face that I couldn't fix when this lady was buying these, and she noticed, and she took the time to say, because if you remember V for Vendetta, there's uh, queer components to that. I don't recall. Oh, okay, but she. She asked me. Oh, is the lead like a lesbian? Natalie Portman. Right. I don't know that she's lesbian, but anyway, whatever. I I don't know. But I I just remember that she was trying to talk to me in a way that would make me feel like she sees me. 
you know, which, which, which disarmed me and kind of, I remember feeling like, Oh, why, you know, why am I walking around so angry? And I've shared stories with you and there was a period there, there've been a couple of periods in my life where I did seek out church, but not because I was looking for save salvation. It was more like fellowship and just something different being very aware that like, I don't necessarily like this doctrine is not going to infect my mind and, and, and change who I am as a person as much as maybe just, I don't know. I can see how people just want fellowship and they want to be around like-minded people whose priorities are a little different. And, you know, the reality is like, and again, I'm not religious, but, you know, living in a big city like LA and being queer and engaging in activities that are not, you know, what save and sanctify people would probably would probably get into sometimes i do feel like it's a little chaotic and it seems like people have no values and no morals and no like like guiding center so again I, like you've mentioned before like how prayer is really meditation i think that people need to engage in sort of self-awareness self-care and think about how they like the space they occupy amongst the rest of us and that can be manage many different ways the tenets of religion of most religions are good things right they, they draw you in i think that's what scares me is for, for instance if you look at scientology and these people that are trying to get you to come in and take their their personality test or whatever to me that shit's scary because you it, they are looking for where you have vulnerable spots because we all have them and it feels good to have those vulnerable spots filled to to I, I, I think it it just gives me pause because it's it's like the, I feel the same way about psychics. I feel the same way uh, about all of that. It is tapping into something that we all have a lack of. And I and mentioning a city without a lot of camaraderie, and we need we do need fellowship. We are social beings. Like that that is a very easy way to do that. But then you start it starts whittling away at your other values, and I, I don't like the feeling of having to change to be part of a group <laughs> well what you described is interesting because i think you could apply that to a lot of things i agree like yes. people who are super into crossfit and then they spend all their fucking free time at the box and that's like their religion or fucking vegans who can't stop talking to you about why you shouldn't consume animal products or i mean you can talk you can apply that to people who are super into like rpgs or what i think i agree yeah. I think that there needs to be a balance and that we cannot allow a singular sort of concept or or function to control who we are. I I I really like the idea of pulling inspiration from a lot of areas yeah. to 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 try to piece together a, like a life and an understanding that provides us with enough comfort to get through this shitty ass world. So and I respect almost all of it. Sure, you know, I I don't want to Again, you become you can easily become the thing you hate. I don't want to live in a world where there aren't people that think the opposite of me or think differently than me. Everybody has something that they can teach you. Yes, I do agree. I, I do believe that. I just yes, uh, it. <laughs> I I do have a reaction. My where wish I for need to you, fix my face. Yes, my wish for you is that you wouldn't have this automatic reaction because whenever you do that. I think that, oh, there are people who, when they see us or they hear us talk about something gay or something, you know, there were some recent comments on a video about like, why does everything have to be about race and whatever? And I, 
immediately when you do that about Christianity, that's like I start to think like, oh, just like these fucking ignorant ass people who have these automatic reactions to anything that's gay or about blackness or whatever, you know, or talking about trans people and people have this automatic negative reaction. So that's where my mind goes. But anyway, sure. this conversation was longer than I intended, but I guess it's appropriate considering today's Easter. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I don't know what Easter's about, except an oh excuse for me to get some Cadbury eggs. <laughs> well, that's the pagan side of the holiday. <laughs> that's the pagan capitalist side. Yeah, this is the capitalist side of Easter that I'm into. But anyway, moving on. So we've had many questions over, you know, the past year and a half or whatever about our skincare routine. Which I find laughable because we really don't have a skincare routine to speak of. <laughs> but, um, but, I, but I said that I would talk about it. So you can start. Um, I don't really have a skincare routine. I do moisturize every day. Which I, you know, I don't know that I started doing until I started dating you. Um, oh, so that's funny. Because I think a common stereotype is why people you know, don't use wash rags, don't wash all their body, and also don't moisturize. I do wash all my body. You um, do wash all of your body, but I don't... So, yeah, when I met you, you weren't using lotion? Well, I was 23, and we weren't... Yeah, that's not how I grew up. I wasn't taught... To. Did I say something to you about lotion? You were asking, yeah, where's, where's your like, lotion? Where's your fucking lotion? <laughs> you didn't have any? <laughs> but, but now I don't go anywhere without it like I, I if I were to shower and not put lotion on my face my I can automatically my skin can feel it so um but to be clear about your skincare routine so Nick uses one soap yeah for his entire body <laughs> and then he uses one moisturizer for his entire body no what no, kind of now, soap, he's, now he's that cocoa butter I what kind of soap do you you usually like you you usually like to buy like old spice body wash yeah, I do. Well, because it's just easy. And you I, use your hands. Yeah. You don't use a loofah or a... Well, I was also taught that loofahs carry a lot of germs. Sure. So... Um, and then you're, for your lotion, for years and years and years and years, you've used the Vaseline Intensive Care for men. From, from Target. From Target. Like that... Because it says face and body, I yeah, believe. Yeah, and I like the smell. You've used that. And it does smell good. And then very recently... You, because I like to use cocoa butter, you started using cocoa butter. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? I like, I like the smell. I think it's funny because sometimes I, when I wear cocoa butter and nothing else, because I, I, I like fra fragrances mm -hmm. like cologne. So usually the cologne will overpower the cocoa butter. But if I'm only wearing lotion like cocoa butter, and sometimes I'll be in a space where like someone... Usually a white person will be like, what is that smell? It just, and it's like, bitch, this is cocoa butter. Okay. <laughs> it's just cocoa butter. Clearly you're not, you're not used to being around people who use cocoa butter because it's a very familiar smell. Mm. But, um, yeah. So I have issues with eczema. So I start, so I just use like the Dove free and clear for sensitive skin bar soap. Yeah, you have much more sensitive skin than I do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I use I usually use like the washing gloves. So I put on the gloves and then I'll lather up my body and use that to scrub my body. And then I like cocoa butter. Or or I'll use like CeraVe body cream or something like that. And then for my face, I, I'll use like a um, sensitive skin like foaming wash. I like the one from Sephora a lot, which is actually quite cheap. Um, and also just being super hydrated. 
you know yes let's well so let me finish so then no no and then for my face i use like the cerave like just the, the the moisturizing cream that has nothing in it but i think being on camera makes our skin look nicer because a there's like a light in front of us and then i can adjust the exposure on the camera which helps a lot um and then i use like a high def like primer like a loose powder okay so i do put a little product on my face oh i don't you don't but you don't really need to i get really i mean i look greasy sometimes <laughs> if i don't so you know those products are intended to reflect light mm-hmm. so they just automatically blur your skin so i i think if you ever see me in person in direct sunlight you would probably think that my skin looks different than it does in like a year. I don't think so. But no, my face is not a wreck, but... You not know, at all. Come on. It's just interesting because I think like, yeah, I don't think... No one has ever said to me in real life, you have such beautiful skin. Okay. Like, I've never been told that. So I think it's funny to then be told, well, yeah, because it's a video. Like, I have this bright light in front of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone looks better with a bright light. But my sister inspired me like, what, three years ago? So my sister drinks like a gallon of water every mm-hmm. day. And she had this like container that had like times of day on it. So then I ordered one. And ever since then, I've been drinking a gallon of water every day. And then you started doing that. Mm-hmm. And I do think drinking a gallon of water every day has really changed. Well, it's good for weight loss. It's, it helps your body process things. And and it's helped my skin a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But, but uh, you also have to urinate frequently. I do urinate. I have a, a enlarged prostate, so that you know pushes on your bladder. Mm-hmm. So that also causes me to have to pee constantly. Road trips are a lot. Road trips are a lot. Going anywhere, like going downtown or mm-hmm. like going to West Hollywood where bathrooms aren't always... Panic. It, there's panic. Okay, moving on. We also mentioned something that now I feel like I don't know if we need to talk about it, but we had watched several things about serial killers and then in one of the videos we talked about who we were gonna mention on the podcast about oh it was for the john wayne gacy video you wanted to elaborate on like gay culture and hookups and then i said well we can talk about it on the podcast but i feel like we've already talked about that just like how the cult gay culture and like hookup culture has accepted just let strangers in your house you will literally let strangers in your house and inside of your body and Mm -hmm. like you don't know their name yeah you haven't verified anything they've messaged you from a profile that has no verifying like uh qualifications to it it's just like this random blank thing messaged you and sent you a picture of their penis and now they're at your house Mm -hmm. and, and i've heard so many stories of people being robbed beat up attempted robbery you know obviously uh, watching, there was a famous uh, case in the UK several years ago of a man who was meeting other men on Grinder and killing them and burying them like in a cemetery, like not far from his damn oh, apartment. Were, they, but he was injecting them with chemicals. Yes, but he was luring them in with the app. And then we had the lovely Ed Buck in uh, West Hollywood killing young black men. Well, and using drugs to yeah. lure them and prime them. So, I mean, I don't know what else there is to say, except people need to be careful. You know, there's a certain level of, I think, self-respect we need to have. And this is not about shaming, like sex shaming. I think it's more about like, you need to, you need to know that like, you deserve to feel comfortable 
with whatever interactions you're having. And my advice to people, young and old, who are on these apps and meeting people, and maybe it's just because I am full of myself in some, in some regards, and I just think, like, if you don't want to verify who you are, if you refuse to, you know, send me a location pin or tell me your name or show me your social media or send me a video, like, or FaceTime me or whatever, whatever you need to feel comfortable you deserve that. Now, some of y'all are too stupid to even realize that you need these things. But for those of you who second guess, and, you know, I'm saying all this, but now I feel shitty because last night we went out mm-hmm. and we had a good time. Mm-hmm. And we uh, met some people and then went to their place and we had a nice time. So it's not about that. It's about us leaving these people's home. Mm-hmm. And we called a lift. And when the lift showed up, it wasn't the car that I had ordered. So, you know, it'll tell you the driver's name, which happened to be my name. <laughs> we had the same name. And then we were supposed to get into a red Ford Focus. And then a white Chevrolet Suburban pulls up. Mm-hmm. And immediately he rolls down the window like, hey, Joseph, don't worry about the car, blah, 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 all the things. And instantly I knew I should not get in this car. Mm-hmm. And you didn't know that it wasn't the car, except that he started saying it. And then, of course, then we were there's... both intoxicated Mm-hmm. And, and it was like 3.30 in the morning. Yeah. So, you know, and we were only 2.3 miles from our home. So I thought, okay, we're two adult men. I guess I felt safe stupidly. But we got in that car and took that ride. And that man was intoxicated. He was swerving in his he, lane. He, he was a chatty motherfucker. Yeah. So, I had to talk to him. So after we got out of the car, I felt really bad because I shouldn't have gotten that car. Like, I knew that I shouldn't have done that. So, it's about being present and aware and, like... Well, even what we did, we were cutting corners because we waited forever because the hour was... We waited forever because, yes. So, we did cut corners. But, again, and so that's a good... Getting back to the hookup situation, I think a lot of times people are obviously, if they're looking for sex, they're probably, uh, you know, needing to satisfy something. And then, you know, you start to get, like... You, like you need to do this thing and then all of a sudden you make concessions and cut corners and we really need to take a step back because the other thing too is like I've always thought I don't want to shit where I eat mm-hmm. a lot of y'all just engage with people who are in your neighborhood and it's like you're creating all these awkward connections with people because you're built you're building something that's very flimsy on something very flimsy and then it's like so what in the course of a year you will have slept with every gay person in like a mile radius of where you live and that I'm not judging. Do what you want to do, but be safe. Feel comfortable, because there are people out here killing folks and robbing folks and stealing their identities, and you're leaving yourself very vulnerable. Well, because gay men don't really have a, a system that I notice a lot of women have, where they they tell their friends where they're going, and you know, like in films, even that's usually a plot point. Gay men don't do that. I don't have well, I shouldn't say I don't have any friends because some of them might be listening, but the. I have very few friends, but <laughs> if you know me, even if you don't know me and you are going to like, send me a message of where you're going, send someone a message. Even if you don't know me, you can DM me on Instagram and be like, Hey bitch, I'm about to hook up with this man at one, two, three main street. Just so you know. Well, I think we have a, <laughs> we have a false sense of security in that there's going to be CCCTV footage yes. <laughs> and that somebody's going to be able to track where you were on your phone. That's a good point, which, yes. Which they can, but you're also... It'll be too late. It'll be too late, and yeah, by the time authorities get to you, for whatever reason. That's the same mentality of like, yeah, it's all fun and games until you end up in the ICU. Mm-hmm. Like, 
yes, we do have this false sense of security, but that it, it, it won't matter once someone steals your fucking wallet or busts you upside the head and, and you know, rummages through your house or worse, kills you. So just be careful and, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me open up a cold pop. Hold on. Get it. Get that. Today's uh, podcast is sponsored by Dr. Pepper Cherry Zero Sugar. Except no, it's not because I don't have a check from them. Except no, it's not. Okay, RuPaul's Drag Race, season 14. It was the reunion episode. So finally, episode... uh, (laughs) What episode was this? Episode... uh, 15. 15. 15. Episode 15 was the reunion. We watched it at um, Precinct, the gay bar in downtown LA. Mm -hmm. It was cute. It was cute. It was all about conflict. Uh, Yeah. Well, they're always trying to hype that. But I I forgot there was so much conflict with Jasmine. Uh, Poor thing. Well, it it was nice to see Diabetti kind of go through it. Oh, we also watched... So we were watching it and Deja Sky was at the bar like... Narrating a little bit. Narrating. So that was actually quite fun because she gave a lot of like little behind the scenes things that she probably shouldn't have said. And I don't want to repeat because I don't want to... I'm not a snitch. But... um. (laughs) Yeah, Pro- probably the biggest thing was some sort of redemption for Diabetti. I guess. Bitch, let me say this. Because all the queens were trying to defend her. Some of them saying like... Not George's. Well, not George's, the not Jazz, but, but saying that like it's a stressful situation and the way people act under stress. I'm sorry, I disagree. If your default when you're under pressure is to be an asshole, then you're just a fucking asshole. Then you're... That, that's the... Uh, Quality of a shit person. Uh, but no, you. we all have the ability to grow. Uh, so hopefully Diabetti grows from this. But it's... it's she yeah, can't get any bigger. It's, it's, <laughs> it, it's just like, oh, I'm not ready to be a parent. So inherently I'm going to be a shitty one because I wasn't ready. And then you're going to use that as your excuse uh, you know, to your fucked up kid when they're 23. Like, I wasn't ready. Like, well, it's too late now, girl. Yeah, I didn't know how to act. I was too... Young. Th- those are just excuses that... By the time you're hearing them, you don't want to hear them, and I don't want right. to hear. From, I don't want to hear from Diabetti. Yeah, after 14 episodes of you being rancid, I don't. I don't care that. And then she still was like, that, yeah, she still has that, like, ugh, that repulsive personality. Well, it's funny because she said like how Jasmine talks at all the wrong times. It's like, well, girl, you can't read the room either. Uh, trying to, yeah. The, and also, Jasmine seems like someone who is. Feels like she needs to do something, mm-hmm. and yes, it's it can be grating, but I think it comes from a place that isn't as um, egotistical as Diabetti. Diabetti seems like she thinks she knows best. No, and what I was, she criticized Jasmine for you know talking out of turn, but she doesn't know how to read a room either because then she's saying something and it's like, oh, but I'm the better looking version of you. Mm-hmm. Like uh... she can't help herself. So to me, that just means like you're just a nasty person. And there are a lot of y'all out there like that. No, it's true. Some people just cannot help themselves. They have to be bitchy, shady. And you, but but it, you know, if you take a step back, it's because of how they've been made to feel about themselves, and it, you know, not to make excuses for them, but uh, that behavior comes from somewhere. It's just you know, do you have the energy to show them that grace? <laughs> right. Um, and then. Maddie Morphosis uh, received the Golden Boot Award for like the worst outfit of the season. Mm-hmm. And it was the outfit she went home on where she was like a Raggedy Ann looking doll. I mean, it wasn't good. It was terrible. She but that's have, all I have to she say. She had a really, because then they opened the library and Orion's story stumbled. 
and Maddie Morphe said something like, how is your last name going to be stored you can't even read? There are some good lines yeah. in there. Oh, and then who told Deja Sky? They were like, girl, you have a lot, like you and Jesus have a lot in common. You have 12 followers. You both have 12, fo- you both have 12 followers. <laughs> oh, there's Cornbread. Cornbread said that. Oh, you know, also, I like Cornbread. Mm-hmm. Like, I think she's talented, fun to watch. And she, I've seen her many times because she, I think Precinct is her home bar. Mm-hmm. And then she used to perform at Redline, maybe. Yeah. I know I've seen her numerous times. But she also kind of has a attitude problem. Like, she seems like she thinks she knows best, like she's mother, and I don't like that either. Sure. Again, though, we get more of a backstory about her trauma. We do, but... Again, that all makes sense, but... Anyway, moving on from RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, Oh, you know what's the thing I thought was stupid? uh, At the end of this thing, Deja Sky and, was it Meatball, the host, were asking what team you're on for the final five, and for those who cheered for Bosco, they're like, oh, all the Caucasians. Um, then everybody really applauded for Willow Pill. It's like, well, aren't those the same people? (laughs) You know, Deja Sky is also a person of color. And I think just speaking from experience, I think a lot of people of color sometimes like to throw out like those sort of comments. Sure. Yeah. That just don't make any damn sense. Like it doesn't make it like all of the... Like it's part of their shtick. Of the top five, four of those people are white. You know, I get irritated when people say, why does everything have to be about race? But this is an example of like making something about race that makes no damn sense. Like what she said made no sense. Okay, I'm going to read to you a headline. Ramiro Alanis, a Marvel-obsessed superfan from Florida, has set the record for the most cinema productions attended of the same film after seeing Spider-Man No Way Home 292 times between December 16th, 2021 and March 15th of this year. That's only 90 days. By that math, Ramiro would have had to watch the movie 3.24 times a day, and he says he shelled out $3,400 for tickets. I would say that this person has um, issues with compulsion. Uh... (laughs) I thought that movie was cute, but 292 times in 90 days. <laughs> and for what purpose? Yeah. If, but anyway, I just, I thought that was wild. Um, another uh, thing that's happening is Ali Wong and her husband are divorcing after eight years of that's marriage. That's a bummer. You know. Well, you know what but I think? Based on her stand-up. We've watched her three stand-up specials, mm-hmm. and that bitch talks a lot of shit about her marriage. She does. So what does she expect? Sure. You're not going to disrespect me like constantly and make a joke out of my marriage to but you men do that to women and constantly all the time. emasculate me but men do that to women all the time sure but that doesn't mean you can do it to me sure like yeah you're okay. right you're right but it's just like it's one thing it would be one thing if she like the the commentary makes sense and it's fair but it's like you are talking about your actual husband how long is this person supposed to sit back and you constantly... And again, I don't know these people. I'm just going off what she said in her comedy specials. But constantly saying like how she makes a lot more money than him. And she only married him because he went to like Stanford Business School or Harvard, whatever. Harvard Business School. And that she thought... Because his family made her sign a prenup. Mm-hmm. So she does have a prenup. But it's the other way around. Because mm-hmm. she's the rich one. I just think like... I don't know... If you talked about me the way she talked about her husband, It'd we would a, have a, a, reckoning. a serious fucking problem. Sure. But I, do, it's just too much. And I wouldn't do that. It's just too much. It, well, it doesn't feel good. It's just too much. 
But it's just, what was it, Robin Thicke talking about his sex life with Paula right. Patton? Right, yeah. Because I remember all that that period and being like, does she think it's okay that you're saying that? It would be one thing if it was like our shtick and, we, sure. and, 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 and it wasn't based in reality. Like, you know, maybe we've made a lot of money with this fake dynamic we've created for ourselves, but we know... Like Lisa Lampanelli? Yes, like Lisa Lampanelli. Or Amy Schumer, even. Or even like Amy, yeah. But, like... It seems like this shit is very accurate to what her actual marriage is like, and I guess uh, that shit didn't pay out, pay off for her. But oh, or I don't know. Her last special, it sounded like there's no, she, all she wants to be able to fuck other men. So now that's your true, chance, girl. There you go. You, you know. <laughs> so I'm happy for you. Okay, so our new section. Sorry to this man. I have two entries. One oh. is uh, for Fantastic Beasts. Uh-huh. We referred to Ezra Miller as him twice. Yes. And but Ezra, Ezra's Ezra Miller's preferred pronouns are they, them. True. but So they, sorry to this them. But they were playing a character that identifies as... Uh, yeah, but you weren't referring to the character I name. Wasn't. You were referring to this person's name. So, you know, we definitely didn't mean to make that mistake. True, and true. And then also for the film Choose or Die... I refer to the lead male actor as looking like Frankie Munoz. Oh, and it's but Munoz. Frankie, uh, Frankie's name is Frankie Mu- Munoz, okay. like M U N Y I Z, not M U N Y O Z. So I kept saying Munoz, but it's oh. Munoz. So I, I definitely want to correct that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> which is amusing to me because all the crazy shit I talk, and it's like let me let me correct the last name I missed. Uh, oh, and uh, preemptively, because I, I don't think you edited it out, I asked some inane question in the next Moon Knight. Oh, yeah, you seem frustrated about a question you asked about the... The Sahara versus the Gobi. When, and even as I said it, I was like, well, I know the Gobi's not anywhere near the Sahara. But anyway, there's that coming. <laughs> there's that, yeah, future retraction. Okay, moving on to films released we didn't cover. The Tale of King Crab. There were several art house films that Joseph couldn't be bothered with this week. But, um... Yes, because but, I'm busy. Yeah, when we did do a lot. But uh, The Tale of King Crab that I saw at Cannes last year in the director's fortnight, uh, highly recommended Italian film. Um, also, Paris 13th District, which was in competition at Cannes. Uh, Jacques Audiard, who's usually a filmmaker I more or less like, uh, but I hated this movie. I hated it. Oh. It's about youth culture, exploring their sexuality. Oh, I remember you talking about oh, this one God, when I you didn't... saw it initially. <sighs> I mean, it has its fans. And it looks nice. It's in black and white. But, uh... <laughs> and, that, and then moving on. Someone... We got a couple comments about reviewing The Cellar. I did ask if you wanted to see it. You did not. Uh, starring Alicia Cuthbert, who was an It Girl in what? 2004, 5, 6? I don't know her. Um, <clears throat> moving on to movies we watch for fun. So, we, after watching John Wayne... the After watching the documentary about John Wayne Gacy on Netflix, after watching the documentary about the Stainer family on Hulu, we and then we watched a... Doc, uh, like a short documentary about that man in, I believe it was Germany, who found a, a man the who... The cannibal? Agreed, the cannibal, the man who... like th- This man found a man who agreed to let him eat him. Mm-hmm. And I had I'd recommended another 2017 documentary called Cannibal. So we were all into like serial killers and cannibalism. As one does. As one does. So then we thought it'd be a fun Friday night. Did we watch it Friday night? Citizen X. Yeah. Yeah. Most of it. 
which you explained uh, was a very popular movie in your house as kids. <laughs> yeah, which I was. Which I find funny. Fifth grade, but I remember my dad loving this movie. Uh, citizen, about Citizen Chikatilo. Uh, there's an, uh, yeah, this was a big deal. I think it was the new Saturday Night Movie on HBO when we had first gotten cable. It's about a prolific serial killer in Russia who admitted to killing 56 people, was convicted of killing 52 people, and he was basically killing all, like, young men and women, people of all ages except adult men, uh, by uh, luring them from train stations. And then he was like, brutally murdering them dis, uh, like biting off their genitals yeah, and doing pretty, really weird stuff to their bodies he had lots of sex um, and my dad I remember watched many other documentaries that are available about him at the time so I remember details like the only way he got his wife pregnant was but coming because he suffered from erectile dysfunction yeah so he would have to, to push the semen in with his fingers he would have to ejaculate through masturbation and then um ejaculate on her vagina and mm -hmm. then push the semen in mm -hmm. and that's how they were able to get her pregnant three mm -hmm. times yeah but citizen x is available currently on hbo max i would recommend it it is it's entertaining but it is it is a perfect example of why english should not be the language used when that's not the originating language yeah this accented english is so bad i do have to say donald sutherland is, is playing such a bitch oh my god but i i kind of wish we would have reviewed this movie because i wanted to take notes but i didn't um but there's so much about it that's kind of laughable but beyond i mean aside from that it, it was riveting yeah of course the material and somebody else covered this um Daniel Espinosa directed a movie in 2015 called Child 44 with Numi Rapace and Tom Hardy, which touches on this. But I remember leaned heavily into something that's really only kind of suggested here is the propaganda machine of, of Russia. Is This man got away with things for so long because uh, the Soviet Union didn't want to make it seem... They, like, crime wasn't possible. They're, they didn't want to admit that they had a serial killer. They yeah. didn't want to admit that they had to use psychiatrists to assist in finding. They didn't want to admit a lot of things yes. or ask for help from... You know, because the, the... Because it was serial killers were... There's a line in the movie about how they're a, a decadent Western problem. Because the lead investigator requested contact with the FBI and Quantico to try to, like... Get the shit moving. Yeah, and... They were like, under no circumstances yeah. are we asking from help for help. So it was very frustrating watching this go down. And, you know, it is a, a made-for-TV movie, so there are liberties taken. But even with that, fascinating. Okay, uh, we It was directed by Chris Jeromo, who is the writer of Mississippi Burning. But the script is not good. And, no, it's not. And poor and Stephen Ray is doing his best. You know, the Neil Jordan muse. I guess you're only familiar with from Crying Game, but is in every Neil Jordan movie. Yeah, he, uh, I would recommend it, but it's not an excellent movie. But you got Max Monsado, Jeffrey DeMond is creepy as Chikatilo, Amelda Staunton plays um, Stephen Ray's wife, and then of course, uh, Joss Ackland as the uh, very over-the-top closeted homosexual that is in charge of... Oh, yes. The propaganda department or whatever. All right, so we watched episodes three and four of Joe versus Carol. Mm -hmm. No, we watched episodes four and five. No, I think it's three and four. Doesn't no, because we watched one through three. We talked about one through three last time. Oh, I don't remember. We watched episodes four and five. Okay. Uh, I My opinion hasn't changed. It's still... It's like, grown on me a little bit. It has grown on me because we're getting more into um, Joe Exotic and the, the more sensational stuff. Um, 
And I think John Cameron Mitchell is doing a much better job with the material than Kate McKinnon. I agree, but I'm... I, Carol Baskin's story is touching, just I've, as a woman who was sort of abused and had to really fight for what she had. But the way Kate McKinnon is playing her is just kind of grating still. I, I am surprised at the amount of kind of empathy, despite those setbacks in the performance that I feel for this portrayal of Carol Baskin as... You know, a woman who's probably done some dirt to get where she is, yeah. and, but also has suffered greatly, at, you know, as a, a whole woman in this world. And uh, I do like her chemistry with Kyle MacLachlan. Kyle MacLachlan in episodes three and or four and five, he's getting a lot more airtime, mm-hmm. and he's he's fun to watch. Yeah. So I I do think like I'll probably want to finish the episodes, but um, lastly, you watched. Kinuyo Tanaka retrospect. Oh, what? Wait, what? I'm covering a retrospective. Oh. <laughs> I still have to finish the last film. Uh, Kinuyo, Kinuyo Tanaka, who is a very famous Japanese actress. Uh, she was in quite a few of uh, Kenji Mizuguchi's most famous films. Like she's the lead in The Life of Oharu. She's in Sanshiro the Bailiff. Um, but she was the second woman to direct films in Japan, and she did six of them across like 1950. Four or five to 1962, she directed six films. And Janice Films is uh, releasing the uh, retrospective of them this week in uh, New York and L.A., I want to say. And I'm supposed to cover them. But uh, So I watched them all basically back-to-back this week. So that, those are my, my fun films. But I really liked her first film, Love Letter, and her second-to-last film, uh, Girl of Night, which is about prostitutes. And if you like depressing movies about sex workers, this is for you. And uh, it reminds me very much of Mizoguchi's last film, Street of Shame, uh, which I consider a classic. And oh, is that the street we live on? <laughs> <laughs> Wherever I go is the street of shame. Uh, but it's, you know, her backstory is interesting as well because she's very prolific, went on to, like, was in hundreds of film productions. Um, and just even her struggle to get into the director's guild um, like Mizuguchi, who was kind of her main bread and butter, uh, voted against her. Uh, hmm. And so, of course, that they never worked again together. But uh, what's his name? Who directed her? Oh, The Ballad of Narayama, late 1950s Japanese film. It was remade by Shoei Imamura in, the, in 84. Excellent movie, and she's in that. And she was buddy-buddy with the director, um, Keisuke Kinoshita, who's gay. And he wrote the script for her first film. It was very supportive of her. Excellent. Okay, projects of interest. Royal Hotel. Oh, Kitty Green has another film that she's doing with Julia Garner because Julia Garner was previously in The Assistant. Uh, Kitty Green also did that Jean ben- creating Jean Benet. I'm forgetting the name of that hybrid documentary. Uh, she has a new film. Um, for, who else is in it? Jessica Henwick and Hugo Weaving. It sounds like it's based on a true story thriller. Okay, and then Two and Only. Uh, Ariana DeBose is producing a film that is described as a let a, like bisexual latina is my best friend's wedding okay well unfortunately there is an entry in the obituary section mm-hmm. uh the lord took gilbert Gottfried. yeah yeah what's that movie um who's killing the great chefs of europe like who's killing all, all these comedians are because de- i saw some picture of Jeff Ross and all the people that are like Norm MacDonald, <laughs> Gilbert Gottfried and um, somebody else. Um, yeah. Well, you know, his, his voice is what really sticks into my mind. And obviously like in the nineties, he was a very popular figure in a lot of like comedies. And I, 
Yeah. I, I don't know much about him except his voice and that he was a very crass mm-hmm. comedian. Yes. And he had a very uh, I know that podcast as well. And then, you know, he was part of those Jeff Ross roasts where one time he showed up as Hitler. Yeah. He yeah. plays Hitler in a movie. Uh, hell. No. He's in that movie with Christy Swanson and Ben Stiller. And he plays Hitler. We reviewed it. Uh, on the podcast, uh, Highway to Hell. Highway to Hell isn't Gil- Gilbert Ben Gun- Stiller. Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller's in it. I don't remember Ben Stiller in Highway to Hell. Who plays Zoolander? Ben Stiller. Yeah, he's in Highway to Hell. Oh yes, but it's an early role. He's like, wait, wait, wait. He's got a side. But isn't he in it? Yeah. He's- oh, what you- so what difference does it make if it's an early? <laughs> well, because Chad Lowe was the lead. Oh yes, but Gilbert Gottfried's in it as Hitler. So he. Uh- <laughs> Well, yes, he is. I remember him most probably as Iago from The Lion King. But I don't know. I don't or know. Aladdin, how how old was he? Do you know? He's in his sixties. Oh, now I feel like I need to say. And and do we know what he passed from? No. Okay, he was sixty-seven. Mm-hmm. He was sixty-seven, and it seems like he uh, had a condition that. <laughs> Caused him to pass. I don't. I don't know what ventricular tachycardia is complicated by type two myotonic dystrophy, but dystrophy. I don't know. Well, tachycardia is heart irregular heartbeat, mm-hmm. but I mean, due to probably some valves. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> goodbye to this man. Oh. Okay, I need to powder my nose. One second. All right, fresh as a daisy. Mm. So, uh, I don't know what inspired our secret movie this week. Oh, we talked about because I'd never seen it, uh, and you hadn't either. I hadn't either, which is surprising. But we often talk about how, oh, we should watch that. We should watch Stella Got Her Groove Back. How Stella Got Her Groove Back. How Stella Got Her Groove Back. I'm sorry. The 1998 romantic comedy drama directed by Kevin Rodney Sullivan, mm-hmm. adapted from Terry McMillan's best-selling 1996 novel of the same title. Mm-hmm. It stars Angela Bassett, mm-hmm. Tay Diggs in his film debut, Hoopy Goldberg, mm-hmm. Regina King, among others. Susanna Douglas, Richard Lawson. Uh, so, oh yeah, Beyonce's stepdaddy's in it. Mm-hmm. Okay, the basic story. So Angela Bassett plays a successful, like Wall Street type person. Broker. Broker. San Francisco, who lives in San Francisco. Who lives in San Francisco in a beautiful home. She is uh, a single mother. Mm-hmm. When one day her best friend, played by Hoopy Goldberg, says, girl, let's go to Jamaica after, like, just to get away. And then uh, Angela agrees, goes, meets this man half her age. So Angela's character is 40, and she meets Tay Diggs, mm-hmm. who's playing a 20-year-old. <laughs> mm-hmm. they, have, they hook up. They have, like, a little two-day fling. But then he um, ends up not being able... He, he can't spend any more time with her because he starts working. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into that because I thought it was unreasonable that she was upset about that. And then she goes back home and then realizes that she wants to see him. So mm-hmm. they start this long-distance relationship. Of course, her family, namely her older sister... Well, not older. She, is Regina King her sister? They're both her sisters. Okay, so Susanna Douglas and Regina King are her sisters... But um, Suzanne, sorry, 
she is very much against it. Which we can get into because yeah. she's married to a white man, so yeah, I don't know. She's going in so hard. She's on, going in so hard. Like, but you married a white man. You married to a white that man. That you're having a child with, but okay. Which is obviously not a problem to be, but I think for no, nine, but it's, it's for, like, for the '90s, and then for her having such a problem with <laughs> her sister dating a 20 year old. But anyway, ultimately they decide to get married. The end. So the story is very basic. It is. Okay. It is. So... But, you know, arrives at kind of the zenith of, uh, in the 90s, black films. Okay, we need to talk about two things, because I want to talk about Terry McMillan, which is going to lead us into um, DL men. So, men who are masquerading as heterosexual when really they're having sex with other men, Mm -hmm. which Terry McMillan is very familiar with. Yes. But, um, so... We'll talk about Terry McMillan in a second, but just going through my little notes for this movie, and you have some too, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, (laughs) I thought the best part of the movie was Regina King. She's a lot of fun. (laughs) She is so funny. She, she's the sister who's like, she, she's a paramedic. Her wig is like very like salt and pepper, pepper, 1987, like the asymmetrical uh, mushroom bob. But she's so funny. Mm -hmm. I think she's funnier than Whoopi. Whoopi's pretty good. Whoopi gets to hit a few different kind of notes though. Whoopi, okay. But anyway, getting back to Regina King, she has like every scene she's in, she's funny. She plays like an ambulance driver paramedic who's always like... Like, she obviously loves her sister, Angela, and thinks her other sister, Suzanne, is like a stick in the mud. Mm-hmm. And seems to always need something from her sister, like money or bar <laughs> or car. I really, really enjoy that role. Okay, Whoopi. Um, first of all, Whoopi looks beautiful. Of course, yeah. She's beautiful, but they make her look frumpy. They put her in frumpy clothes because she's supposed to be the friend that doesn't exercise. She also, come to find, as a medical <laughs> issue. I, I think the writing of that character is a little... Because it's like every scene she's in, it's like she's like they're trying really hard to make her funny. Mm-hmm. But then her story arc changes dramatically halfway through because she finds out she has cancer and she's going to die right away. Yeah. Like, like in a matter of weeks. Mm-hmm. So there's a moment where the Angela hospital. has to fly back from Jamaica to New York New York to see her best friend. And then we, I, go, I, and then we attend her funeral. It's a good scene. It is. It, you know... Um, okay. Angela Bassett was 38, she I think. She is breathtaking. She is perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I don't know. I was trying to look up who did her makeup, but the makeup, the, the hair, hair situation gets a little interesting because in the beginning scenes, she's, she has like individual box braids and they, and they look gorgeous. But then... The second half of the movie, it's clear that she's wearing a wig and that they just have the front section of her hair braided and it's out, but then the rest of it is like a wig. So I, I don't know if that was just the, the, the filming took longer or I don't know what happened, but Angela Bassett looks perfect. Mm-hmm. She's, which is almost a detriment to the story. Well, yeah, because it's a woman that looks like this is really... Who's that successful. Is acting so demure about men liking her. She's acting too... She's acting too... Yeah, you're right. She just... You know... Like, oh my God, this 20-year-old likes me? Uh, yeah. (laughs) Someone like her who looks like that would not be so... Taken aback. Taken aback by a handsome young man 
Yeah, her response to him just seems so off, but she is stunning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's stunning. It's just fun to watch her. Um, who tells? So Suzanne Douglas plays the uptight sister who's pregnant and married to the white man, and she is so vehemently opposed to Angela dating this 20 year old mm-hmm. even though she's saying it's just fun it's just a fling like it, who knows when it'll end but you know I just want to explore it and she's very pregnant mm-hmm. wearing very bad wigs yes and very bad uh, well her makeup's bad because they put her in like blue eyeshadow with yeah. like <laughs> a Mars Attacks wig at one point <laughs> I also but, sorry to this woman who passed and then she did pass but she's stunning and uh, who says to her, like, why don't you induce labor so you can hurry up and have someone to tell what to do? Angela says Oh, that. yeah. I also like towards the end at the barbecue where Regina King says to her, will you just shut the fuck up? Yeah. <laughs> Re- Regina, every line out of her mouth is funny. Uh, so, Tay Diggs' character, when Angela first meets him, it's at breakfast at, at the resort in Jamaica. He is coming on so strong and we need to keep that in the back of our mind because when we talk about terry mcmillan i think you brought up a good point watching this after because you didn't know much about him until after we watched the movie correct about the husband i had already known about terry mcmillan's real life husband who this movie is kind of loosely based on yeah so we'll get to that but he comes on so strong he says so many things i'm like oh he's red flag he's playing her Yeah, yeah yeah but we'll get to it okay so then uh the first night he and angela hang out they go to a dance party, which I thought was cute. Because there's a subplot of Whoopi Goldberg having met two like retired like baseball players or football, football players. whatever, some sport. And of course they're like rich. And one of them is Richard Lawson and the other one is uh what's Hen- Henley. Um and, and you know, they're not the most appealing gentlemen, but uh she's out at this dance party, which I thought was funny because all of a sudden the vibe of the party changes. And everyone's getting naked. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know they get down like that at these luxury resorts in Jamaica. Um, well, the funny thing is they make what's his name. Even Richard Lawson, they they give him a stutter because technically he looks fine. Yeah, Richard Lawson, look, yeah, it's weird like how they're trying to play them, but whatever. Barry Shabaka Henley is yeah. buddy and they ha- he takes his robe off and we're made to think that his body's grotesque. It's not... It, it, <laughs> I think he looked fine. He looked fine. I mean, his face is the issue probably, but... Um, okay, so Angela, her character hooks up with Tay Diggs. Whose name is Winston Shakespeare. Winston Shakespeare. Um, and they seem to have fun. So then they're like really into each other. But he explains to her, like, my dad's a doctor. He wants me to be a doctor. I'm still debating if I want to go to medical school, but I'm here at this resort because I want to get a job here. So then he tells her, like, look, I have good news. I got a job. At the restaurant here at the resort, which is what he wanted. Mm-hmm. But they want me to start now. And I'm going to be working day, night. I have two hours free a day. I only have two hours of free time a day. And she is mad. Oh, her face cracks. I thought that was so unreasonable. Like, this man, she, yeah, her character. But I think if, just, no, we'll talk about Terry McMillan. Um, <laughs> they go, so then she returns home and then they go back to Jamaica. To spend more time together. And there's a scene where they're sitting at a bar. And they're trying to play this thing again. I think Angela Bassett may not have been the best person to play this character. Because they try to make it seem like 
they look so weird together. Right. And if anything, I'm thinking, why why would she be with a man like Tate Diggs? Because this woman he, looks perfect. He feels out of her league in a way yeah. that how could she be interested in him other than sex? <laughs> but there's a scene where they're at a bar and the bartender is a woman, a young woman. And she's just being very aggressive about like, oh, you're with your mom, your mom, your mom. And they're playing along like, yeah, this is my mom. And then they start making out. I thought that was uncomfortable. It was, yes. <laughs> Pretending to make out with your mom. Then again, there's another scene where Tay Diggs and Angela go see a movie. <laughs> That's called My Last Nerve. <laughs> That's called My Last Nerve. And it's funny because it's, it's, it's basically making fun of films that would be in line with like a Tyler Perry Medea movie. Mm-hmm. So it's supposed to sort of seem like it's beneath Angela. Yeah. Because... Her, her uptight sister is trying to set her up with a judge. Played by um, Lumley. Carl Lumley. So they all... Which I thought was really weird. They all go to the movies. like So these three couples go to the movies, but they all don't go into the same movie. Mm-hmm. But they don't know that. Mm-hmm. So the other two couples, her sis, Angela's sister and the judge with his girlfriend, go to like a serious dramatic piece. And then Tay and Angela go to My Last Nerve. And then when they come out, the the sister's like, oh, where did you end up sitting? I didn't see you. What did you think about the final scene? And then Angela says, well, actually, we saw my last nerve. And they're trying to make it seem like, like you're too mature for this. Mm-hmm. And then the judge like hits on Angela in front of not only her date, but his date. Mm-hmm. But even before that, when they're waiting in line, they make it seem like these younger women come by. And are so into And are so into Tay. And they're looking at Angela. And it's like... That didn't quite, it, it, it didn't make sense to me because Angela, I thought, was prettier than the three women. She, she's more beautiful and she is uh, very fit and intimidating. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If I saw, if I saw that Angela version of Angela Bassett in line and then these three women, I'd be like, y'all bitches better, you, you better lay low. Like, <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. Try to like roll your eyes at a woman who looks like that. Right. Her, I mean, you know, her biceps are. Well, just her face. I mean, she just she just looks perfect. She does, yeah. So it, it was just wild that they're kind of rolling their eyes at her and like so entertaining. Yeah, how could this Whose be? haircut is... Because, you know, his hairline's always been a little rough. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he started going bald when he was young. So his hairline is back. He has like a six head. So his he, hair... He was handsome. He's very handsome, but I think he should have had a buzzed head or shaved head. And you made a comment early on because he's actually much darker than the man he's based on i was glad that they cast a darker skinned man because i feel like especially in hollywood oh we didn't even talk about the director is the director a white man uh, well he's also directed barbershop 2 and guess who so i would assume not but uh but anyway i feel like i do want to make it's unbelievable to me that this and waiting kevin rodney sullivan is a black man this and waiting to exhale which is directed by forrest whitaker like how these anyone dared to think that a man should be directing these uh, is interesting. Oh, sure. Because now, if these, if, I think there's a new Terry McMillan novel that Viola Davis is attached to, an adaptation. I don't know who's set to direct it, but to me, it's just like, uh, yeah, a black woman should be directing this. Sure. Uh, I think, so, getting back to the sister, just quickly, I, I thought it was funny that Suzanne, her character, it, like, I kind of wanted some commentary on like, you're married to a white man. Mm -hmm. So you should probably, even if your family wasn't against you doing that, which I can't imagine they would have been, certainly not Angela or Regina King's characters, 
you should certainly understand like how people might question your relationship and that you want them to respect your choice. So I, I, I needed a little bit from the narrative to sort of explain why she thinks. Well, because it's, it's it, there's something inherently classist about that, right? So Angela dating a non-citizen who's 20 years younger, Angela, Stella, um, is a shameful thing, whereas she's married this successful white businessman, so... Right. You know, that looks... But then Regina does make a comment in the end, towards the end where she says, you know, not all of us have to rely on marrying a man to take care of right. us. Like, thank goodness Stella... Because, you know, Stella's a very sort of independent, successful woman. Mm -hmm. So it does address it. And I do understand that Suzanne's character is supposed to be sort of obnoxious. But it's at a level that feels like, bitch, if my sister kept talking to me like that about my relationship, then we're just not going to be around each other. Right. Um, Okay. I don't think the movie is the best made film. I think the soundtrack, which was uh, produced by... Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, mm-hmm. who are obviously known for working with so many artists, but obviously Janet Jackson's probably their biggest client, is not the best. It feels very, like, late 90s. It does, but I really... I enjoyed it up until the last probably 15 minutes. I think the score's a little... Well, because the soundtrack is he- you know, it's heavily influenced by the, the, the soundtrack and these songs, which one of them is by Janet Jackson. There's another one by um, Mary J. Blige that I recall being popular called Beautiful, but it's not as strong as like a waiting to exhale soundtrack. The soundtrack, no. But Yeah. And, and then the score, there's a scene in particular where Angela's running, like she's going on a run. Yeah, it sounds like a thriller. And it sounds like a thriller, like she's being chased. Yeah. I, yeah, there are moments. And then we, we transition to a, a shower scene. It's, which, so, it's sort of at the climax, which is, there is a pun intended there, where she's deciding like, if she actually wants to be with him. Mm-hmm. Because he's, Tay Diggs has asked Angela to marry him. And she hasn't responded. So there's a shower scene where we see Tay Diggs in the shower. We see his butt. And then they have sex in the shower, which was interesting. And then they go to the bedroom. And then it's a very interesting scene because... She's crying. It seems like she's reached orgasm. She's crying. And then the look on his face is almost like regret. But I think it's supposed to tie into he's leaving. Yeah. Because he tells her, I'm deciding to go to medical school. And he leaves. And then Angela... Uh, follows him to the airport but I think it's funny because there's a scene where Tay Diggs is on his way to the airport and we hear that there's like the 101 freeway is backed up take the 280 take the 280 you're never going to get there in time and then Angela's character gets there before him yeah (laughs) so she must take the 280 I don't know yeah that's interesting but what would you give this film I would give it uh, two and a half I would give it two and a half I would definitely recommend it but okay so Terry McMillan Oh, but there are so. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. Go through your notes. Sorry. Again, speaking to uh, like men, kind of. Uh, it, it, Terry McMillan adapted her novel, but it was also uh, Ron Ron Bass as a screenwriting credit who wrote adapted the Joy Luck Club and uh, My Best Friend's Wedding. So clearly, you know, kind of in keeping with those things. I also discovered there's a My Best Friend's Wedding remake. Uh, oh. In, Spanish, I think, in 2019, which was co-written by Gabriel Ripstein, who's Arturo Ripstein's son, which is fascinating to me. Um, also, shout out to Ruth E. Carter uh, for doing the oh the uh, wardrobe, the wardrobe mm-hmm. which I thought uh, looked great in Stella. Uh, so she's at least dressed Angela twice, because obviously in Black Panther as in well. In Black Panther, um, I, yeah, to me, it was. We're, we're going to get into the Terry McMillan aspect, but I liked. Just it's just a story about women having ex- having experiences that seems kind of like such a novelty. 
Yeah. So Terry McMillan, she is an American novelist. She's probably one of the most successful black oh, for sure. female yeah. authors. Um, her style is very like um, like feisty and direct in her writing and also... Oh, um, she seems like a no-nonsense woman. Which in is, her personality, yeah. which is interesting because she famously married a man named Jonathan Plummer in 1998. And her marriage, her meeting him and their marriage was the inspiration for the movie, How Stella Got Her Groove Back. So it's basically like loosely based on her. Also, it doesn't really feel like Stella never had her groove in my mind. Uh, it did because, well, as far as love goes. As far as love. But, but, but yeah, well. She's winning. <laughs> I mean, I think the story feels very sort of, uh, you know, that standard like a woman can't be happy unless she has love. Sure. Because she has a beautiful son who loves her, this amazing career, this, home this beautiful is... home. She's gorgeous, but it's like, just, just not going to be right till I get a man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a little annoying. But Terry McMillan marries this man, Jonathan Plummer, in 1998. And I believe six years into their marriage, he comes out as gay. Mm -hmm. And there's this famous Oprah interview where he comes out as gay. And then that sort of started the conversation about DL men. Mm -hmm. So down low brothers. Mm -hmm. So this phenomenon of black men who are living their lives as heterosexuals with, you know, marriages to women and having children and having sort of quote unquote normal lives but secretly having sex with other men. And this is that sort of, not the height of the AIDS epidemic, but certainly HIV and AIDS were a major issue back then because people um, didn't have the sort of prophylaxis they have now. So watching the movie, knowing that it's loosely based on her relationship with Jonathan Plummer, there were so many little things that just felt like well, first of all... And she wrote this before she knew her husband was gay. Yep, yep, of course. So there are a lot of things that are... Like, you're in danger, girl. Uh, there's a lot in common with their romantic trajectory that's not unlike a lot of um, sex tourist films I've seen, like Paradise Love from Ulrich Seidel or Heading South uh, from Laurent Contet starring uh, Charlotte Rampling, which focus on white women that go to these countries to have romantic and sexual liaisons with men, not unlike Tay Diggs' character. Uh, so there were a lot of there were a lot of things that felt very familiar. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I don't know. I don't know what I wanted to say about that, except um, it is hard watching because we we watched a few interviews with her and him, and then him talking alone and her talking alone, and you know it's. I feel bad. I felt so bad for her. For her. Yeah. And I don't know if I've ever told this story, but quickly, when I was living in Las Vegas and working at a casino, I had a supervisor. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Who she would constantly... And so I had a coworker. I worked in a call center for a little while, and I had a coworker who was also gay. We were like little buddies, and we sat next to each other. And our direct supervisor was this woman, this very sweet naive lady who um, was probably my age now so in her early 40s and all she would ever talk about is her beautiful husband and her handsome son so of course the two little gay guys because we were like 20 are like well let like we want to see mm -hmm. but this is in 19 you know 99 so it's like you know no one had phone pictures on their phones so it was like well bring pictures in so one day, 
she brings in pictures of her son and her husband. So we see the son first, and he was hot. Mm-hmm. He was 17, and we were 20, so I'm not a creep. But, And then she shows the picture of her husband. Mm-hmm. And my coworker and I look at each other like, girl, this was a man we would see at the local gay bar Gypsies on a regular basis. <laughs> so he and I went to lunch, and of course, we could not get to lunch fast enough to talk about it. And we were debating, do we tell her? Well, how are we going to do this? So then we decided that we're going to try to get information from her. And she would talk about how, like, her husband often was gone on the weekends for business. And it's like, well, actually, it would be Saturday nights when we would see him out. And we were at the gay bar with fake IDs. So that's how we would, like, you know, because I mentioned we were under 21. But one day we finally tell her. Mm -hmm. And... It was really uncomfortable. She ended up getting like separating from him, having to get a second job to pay for it. Just watching the evolution of that, which has, which is what has spawned me. And I know we've had many conversations with other people about my belief that if I, it's that experience 24 years ago that has made me feel like if I know something about someone's relationship, I'm not telling them. If I see your man hooking up with some other lady, some, like, I'm not saying I think anything. it depends on who they are to you. It, it, your boss or, you know, a casual friend. Yeah, I don't want to be involved. You're right. Like, it would depend. But like my sister. Yes, of course. Know. I it, it does depend. But I think for many years, I was like, my name is Bennett and I ain't in it. Like, mm-hmm. sure. I don't care what I see. Unless you ask me directly. I'm not saying shit. Because, well, you know, you don't know people's uh, agreements. But the point of that is, like, how many times have I, like, or you, like, how many times have we interacted with men who were living a double life? hmm Yeah. I used to hook up with this man back in Minnesota who, come to find out, and the only reason I found this out is one day I'm watching the news he's on the news and he's like the head of the Catholic church for, I don't even know. Like he's like, he wasn't just like of a one church. He was like Mm -hmm. the head of the diocese. I get, I don't know all the terms, but he was a big deal. And then I confronted him about it after I saw that. And then he, you know, of course was like being very like, please don't say anything. And, and then, um, I saw him a few times after that, but it was just like, are you kidding me? Like, and then how many like married men, men who were like, lots, lots, so many. And it's just like, this shit is wild. Well, and a, you know, a few of the married men I did things with that I would confront about it because it, it's not like it was always apparent. Uh, they would be like, well, I just can't find a relationship with a man the way I want it. So I have to marry this woman. <laughs> okay. But you're having sex with men still. So that, and she doesn't know, which is the problem, right? Like that she's not part of this. Uh, she doesn't have uh, consent, <laughs> is aware of all the facts. But yes, watching this uh, in retrospect to what happened to Terry McMillan is uncomfortable in a way that no one could anticipate. No. Um, but yeah, just even watching her in that Oprah interview, it's like she doesn't even want to look at the camera. Uh, it's embarrassing. And then, of course, you know, getting back to her personality as an author, she's so direct and so no nonsense. And then, of course, you think, like, how could a woman like her not see that and not confront it? But I think it's a testament to like 
when people have feelings and they're in love and, you know, you become blind to a lot of things or, or you make concessions. The other thing, too, is like, we don't know people's relationships. We don't know what kind of agreements and understandings people have. That's why it's so important to stay out of people's business. Like, right. <laughs> which is partially why I don't, you know, I'm very judgy and I will talk shit about everyone privately. Like, <laughs> I have opinions about everyone's relationships, but I wouldn't say it to them because it's like, I don't know. I don't know your situation. Mm -hmm. Maybe she did know. And she felt like... I don't think she did. But, uh, I don't think she did. But, but, but then also seeing him is like, how could you not know? Well, that uh, Oprah challenging him to be like, uh, before the age of 20, you never had a thought that you might be gay. And Which, she finally gets it out of him that like, yes. But, and I felt bad for him because I don't... Well, I can see that... I think what he was trying to explain, but maybe wasn't prepared to do so, is that... From where he's from, how he was raised, being gay was not an option. So he always knew that he needs to try to fit into a box. Or and then he met this woman. That was his ticket out of That was Dodge. his ticket out of Dodge. And so he conformed to that. But obviously, you know, what is that saying? Like a, a tiger will show its stripes. Like, mm -hmm. obviously you can't... Suppressing your authentic self is only going to backfire and it did like he started stepping out and having sex with men while he was still married to her and then of course they had a very messy divorce because yeah. he wanted money and and then now she says they're in a better place as of like five years ago or She's whatever like, but she said we're not bffs but. yeah but they're friendly and i think you know obviously they had some connection i mean that's why she fell in love with him and married him and I'm sure he was fond of her. She seems like a good time gal. But, but if there's truth in it, like how the family was responding to her, and then, you know, just the embarrassment. of The embarrassment. Yeah, everyone's telling you, why are you with this man? And yeah. they come to find out he's a fraud. But then that language we have to be careful with because I don't think someone... It's tough because people like to say, like, men who turn out to be gay or, it, you know, come out later in life that they were lying. And it's like, well... Well, it's a larger problem than, than that. Yes, but, so I don't like that word, like, fraud, because... No, but he also... It's just unfortunate, because he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing, but I also think a lot of... You know, this gets back to, like, John Wayne Gacy saying that he considered himself bisexual and not gay because he never wanted a relationship with a man. But it's like, you know, you can define things however you want to, but... Or Roy Cohn, who said he wasn't gay because he wasn't weak. Right, right. It's, it's just like, you know what... Define it however you want to, but that shit is not working for you. So, yeah, it it's interesting. It's interesting. But, yeah, How Stella Got Her Groove Back. I'm glad I finally watched mm -hmm. it. Um, it makes me want to go back and watch some other Angela. Oh, it's like 1995. It was funny uh, looking through her filmography, too. She played uh, Betty Shabazz twice. And then in Betty and Coretta with Mary J. Blige, she's playing Coretta. To Mary J's uh, Betty, <laughs> and that's <laughs> the interesting. and that's the movie where we always quote Mary, Mary J. J Blige because they Mal Malcolm X and his wife had a oh. number of children with very interesting names, <laughs> one of whom uh, was named Gamilla. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and there's a scene in that movie where Mary's introducing all of Betty's children to Coretta, and she's like, uh, "This is blah blah blah," and y'all know Gamilla. <laughs> We say it all the time, and I'm sure no one knows what we're talking no. about. But that's what we're talking about. Y'all know Gamilla. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Anyway, uh, so we have a busy week, I think. Oh yeah, tonight we're seeing. Um, yeah, because uh, we're we're visiting with family for Easter, and, and then, then I this evening us tickets to see Blues for an Alabama Sky, directed by Felicia Rashad. Uh, that is uh, at the Mark Taper Forum. Uh, so we're seeing that this evening. Yep, and it's based on a play by Pearl Klieg, which I just finished reading. Uh, interestingly. Felicia Rashad, who is directing, originated the lead role uh, in back in 1995. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what are we watching this week? Well, we have like five videos that are dropping tomorrow. <laughs> we, well, we got a lot of stuff done ahead of time. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to think of what. And then I don't recall any screenings we're going to. Oh, The Bad Guys is this week. The Bad Guys. Oh, that cartoon. Mm-hmm. I agreed to watch that. You did. It's in a theater. Uh-huh. Where? Uh, probably the Grove or something. Oh, oh, I might get some Cheesecake Factory there, out of There it. you go. Or, shout anyone in LA. I don't know. Is, is Maggiano's a chain? I don't know. But that's, it was good. Well, um, for anyone who uh, lives in LA, um, I recently discovered... We went to Maggiano's for the first time last week mm-hmm. with um, when we went to go see the movie father stew <laughs> because when we went to that john cameron mitchell bingo night that he never showed up to yeah i won bingo nick won a round of bingo so we got gift certificates to Maggiano's. um they have a really good happy hour oh yeah we should go do so that. i would recommend uh people check out Maggiano's for happy and hour. if there's anyone out there that can help convince joseph he needs to watch vortex so we can review it by gaspar noe i'm trying to get you to watch that Ugh. this week mm-hmm. um and also uh petite maman is opening this week, directed by Celine Shyama, uh, which I really liked from last year. You know, people can support the podcast. Mm-hmm. You can pledge money. Okay. I keep forgetting to mention that because people have been, which is very generous. And hatching is this week. They can also uh, send me gifts at Venmobi. Like, <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I don't know. The, this movie, uh, Vortex, just. Oh, uh-huh. you know, what we didn't talk about, I guess I didn't put it, is can announce their uh, competition titles. Oh. We didn't even get to talk about that. Well, you haven't made your selections yet. Well, because the, the Director's Fortnight is, and Critics Week are announced next week. So you want me to wait to talk about Let's it? Let's wait till next week. That can be a segment. Yeah, because the whole program's not up. But okay, uh, so we'll the, the uh, s- uh, competition selection so far is very exciting to me. Okay. Just so you know. All right. Okay. Do you have anything else to say? No. All right, bye.